Amen? Amen. In a moment, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 6. I feel like I have a great word from the Lord this morning. I feel like I just really am ready to preach, and so um, I want to jump into that. You know, it's crazy sometimes the days we live in. When you look around and you see the life that we have and the places that we are, life can be very unsettling. The times that we are in right now can be very provoking of thought and attitude and can really make us step back sometimes and look at life and wonder what is going on in this world that we live in, the social injustice that we face, the scandals that are going across our media that are being reported to us sometimes can cause us to just maybe take a step back and be uncertain about the day that we live in. But I'm telling you, it's not a whole lot different than it's been before. Sin always is progressive. The enemy is always attacking. He will always come at us with something. It may take a different method. It may take a different form. But he will always want to destroy the plan of God that's inside of each one of us. And so when we get to places and moments and times in life and we look at them, we cannot be discouraged, but we should be encouraged because we know that there's something great going on. There is something that is happening inside of us. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. Anybody have just a favorite scripture? Something that you just lean on? Something you go back to in time? It just is always there for you. We're going to get there. It's one of my favorite scriptures, and it just is a moment that is uh, it's something in my life that in moments when I need it, it's always there. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. Let's jump in. It says, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, and he said, I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Abraham waited patiently. He received what God had promised. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. Without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. And these two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. This is my favorite verse. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us and he has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We're going to focus this morning on number 19. We have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. God, I thank you for all you've done, and I thank you for who you are. And I pray right now in Jesus' name that you open each ear and eye. Let us receive. Holy Spirit, have your way. And everybody would say, Amen. Amen. Anything unlikely ever happened to you? <clears throat> Anything unlikely ever come along in your life? We, we, you might look at life sometimes and say, my life is made up of unlikely moments. Unlikely to happen times. There, there were things in my childhood growing up. I grew up in a parents, and I, I, you know, I had parents. I grew up in a pastor's home. Some of y'all catch what I missed. I grew up in a pastor's home, and we were always, like, taking people in. Anybody can relate to this. We would, at any given moment, have somebody eating at our dinner table. 
we would at any given moment have somebody staying in our house that night. Now, we didn't have much. We had three bedrooms and one bath for six of us. We would live in, as, as nowadays, you just figure, how could you even get by and do that? This one particular time, there was a conference going on in town, and this couple, by faith, had driven down. I, I was born and raised in Baltimore. They'd driven down from Pennsylvania, and they'd come to visit. And we didn't know them. They were strangers. They came to visit the conference. They got there. They attended it. God touched their life. And sure enough, they didn't have anywhere to go after the conference. So God had connected them to my parents, of course, because that's the way it just always worked. And my parents said, why don't you come back to the house? Because this is completely unlikely. And why don't you stay with us for the night? Because we don't have room for anybody else, but there's always room for more. And so why don't you come stay with us at the house and be our guests for the evening? And so they did. And, and they stayed there. And so my sisters, I have two sisters and one brother. And we, they shared a room. We shared a room. And obviously the girls' room is always a little bit nicer than the boys' room. And so they got to take in the guests. And the guests would stay with them in, in their room. And this lady was eight months pregnant with twins. Did I mention that? She was far along in this. And it was like as if they were going to Bethlehem or something. It was a strange scenario of sorts. And here they are. And they're staying in the, my sister's bedroom, which is adjoined to ours. And then there's a hallway. And then there's the bathroom. And so at some point in the night, for some unknown reason that to this day I don't know. I don't sleepwalk much, but when I do, I make it count. <laughs> and I had gotten out of bed at 13 years old and grabbed the blanket off of the chair in the hallway, and I laid down on the floor in the hallway and went to sleep. Sleptwalked to the hall floor, fell asleep, and sure enough, the lady that is eight months pregnant with twins decided she needed to come out in the middle of the night and use the restroom, and as she did, she would cross over me because the hallway was only so wide, and trip and fall and land upon me. It's unlikely scenarios that were, they just brought together in one moment. Why is somebody sleeping on the floor? Why is a stranger in the house? Why is some, and, and what, what, what was going through her mind to think, why would he even be here in this moment? Life sometimes is made up of unlikely moments. Very unlikely how I would even end up in Texas. Very unlikely if I could tell you my story, if I had time this morning, to explain how I would even arrive here. But sometimes God uses the unlikely moments to arrive, to show up, to be there, to show us himself and to reveal Jesus to us. I lived in Dallas for a short time and I was, I was out there and my parents and family came to visit I was raised not only in Baltimore, but in the city. We are not nautical people. We are not aquatic. We don't do water except maybe to swim. And so we, they came down to visit me in Dallas, and we were kind of bored. We didn't have a whole lot to do. And so we decided to go rent a boat and go to Lake Grapevine. I don't know whose idea this was, but it came upon somebody to just do it. So we rented a boat, found out they had these boats called pontoon boats. We could all fit on a pontoon boat. It's a big family. We get on there, and we're going around Lake Grapevine. I don't remember exactly who was driving the boat at this point, but none of us have boating experience. I, don't, I think they asked for, like, a driver's license. It's the craziest thing. They don't ask if you ever ridden, uh, driven a boat, but they just rent you the boat. We get out on the boat. We're on the water. This wake had come along, and suddenly the nose of this pontoon boat had gone under the water and came and completely submerged. At that point, you don't know what's happening. I didn't know that 
I, I mean, a little bit of study and later I found out the pontoon boats sometimes do this, but they're always buoyant. They come back up. But in that moment of panic, I mean, it was just crazy because all of a sudden the front of the boat goes under. There's small children. There's cell phones that are flying around all over the place that are not insured. There's crazy stuff happening. And in that moment right there, the boat goes under. Everybody runs to the back of the boat to try to balance the weight out. It goes up and we were done. Finished boating for the day. Take the boat in, we're through. If this is the boating life, we don't want any part of it. But sometimes, this is a picture of our soul. Sometimes, our soul has an unlikely moment come along, and suddenly the nose of your ship starts to go under. Sometimes, we become, we become submerged in life circumstances in life happens. You lose your job and you're not sure what's going to go on and suddenly you feel like you're floating along. Life is going so well and now you begin to feel as if I might actually sink. I'm not familiar. I'm not trained. What do I do in these moments? Where do I find hope when it seems like my, my life is about to go under? I love the scripture 619, it says, we have this sure and steadfast hope as an anchor for our souls. It's crazy. It's crazy because it's, sometimes we look at life, we look at things, and we have to ask ourselves, exactly what is it that I'm anchored to? What am I anchored to? You see, we anchor into many different things. Sometimes we anchor into an idea. An artist would say, I have a song that's going to be a hit. This is going to be my number one. It's going to win me Grammys, going to take me around the world and put me on platforms. And he anchors himself into that song, into that thought, into that idea. We anchor ourselves into ideas. We anchor ourselves into things. Sometimes people, for unknown reason, will anchor themselves into, like, the Dallas Cowboys. Only to be, I'm sorry, am I in the wrong church? <laughs> Only to be let down. Only to just be, you, you feel like you're sink, you're, your ship is sinking every season at eight and eight. You're just not sure. And hope is just where. You see, we hope and we anchor ourselves into ideas as if that is what is going to cause our life to find its substance. As if that is what is going to carry us through. And so we hope in a thing. We hope in an idea. The first, the first arrival of Jesus, the first time he came, that Christmas morning, that time he came, that was an unlikely arrival of Jesus to this earth. They didn't see him coming in that form. They didn't see him coming in that fashion. They thought Jesus was coming to this earth. The Messiah would arrive maybe kind of like, like Mel Gibson in Braveheart. Maybe he would come with an army. Maybe he would come in that moment when the Roman Empire had just squashed everything else out of their life. And then here would come Jesus marching in with horses and cavalry and men and angels and would arrive. It was unlikely he would arrive as a baby in a manger. It was unlikely he would be there without much, uh, without a whole lot of stuff going on to announce his arrival. See, the writer of Hebrews wrote this 
because he was writing to the Jewish people. He was writing to a people that understood that they had put their hope in an idea. They had put their hope in, in the wrong place. They had misplaced their hope and they were anchored into something that was fallible, into that idea. And so he was saying to them, Jesus is enough. Another place we place our hope, we place our hope in things. We place our hope in stocks or bonds or finances. I'm going to become debt free and that's going to change everything. Praise God for Dave Ramsey and cutting up credit cards. We're all for it. But you cannot place your hope in that thought and that concept. Retirement is not what will set you free for life. But we place our hope into these concepts and ideas, into these things as if paying off our house or arriving at some job level. Sir, you're placing your hope. You're, you're missing out on the family time because you're planning to create more family time, but you're missing out on the time the little ones need you most because you're putting hope in the job that you'll get the position, that you'll get affluence, that you'll rise to a place of prominence, and then they'll understand, and they just want you in that moment. They just want you now. We place our hope in things. But the, rea the reality is this. That which does not have a soul cannot help that which does. And that soul that you and I each have, that soul that's inside of us, that is created to live forever, cannot be aided by that which does not. You have heated seats in your car. They'll warm you up on, during the day, but they won't hold you at night. They can't keep you when all of life feels like it's caving in and the front of your boat feels like it's going under. What good are those things then? We hope in people. We hope in people. Many times this is the answer. This is the answer that as a pastor you get. Where are you hoping? What are you thinking? Who is it that you I, I'm hoping in her. I'm hoping in him. That's my rock. He's my man. I got him. He's got me. We got each other. God comes along and says, I'm, that's her. She's the one. That's my, my girl. She's my squeeze. She's my, the one. She's always there for me forever and ever. We're together. But somehow, some way, your soul cannot be aided by another one that has, by another soul, because you both have this thing called sin. If both souls are fallible, both souls are fragmented. How can one soul help another? How can one soul save another? It sounds like I'm describing marriage kind of, right? Right? I mean, if you've been married or you are married, you get a little bit of a, you're like, man, I think he's talking about my, because it is a proper scenario. Like you look at, like you, you, I look at my wife, hey, you weren't there for me. I needed you. And she's looking back on, but you, how was I going to be there for you? You weren't there for me. But I needed you to say this to carry me, and I needed to hear this from you. And two fragmented souls are trying to help each other, but that soul cannot because we're both broken. There's a hole in that reply because our soul cannot be tethered to another. I dated this girl back when I was still single. Back when I was long time ago. Let me clear that up. 
I dated this girl, well, it was before we started dating. I thought I had a little bit of game. I thought I had a little bit of something. And, and we were at church. It's like, you know, church dating is. And I was at church, and it was Easter time. And there was this Easter production we were putting on. And it was near the end of the school semester, and a lot of her friends were getting ready to graduate and go away, and she was a little bit depressed. She was a little bit saddened, and, and she was sitting there, and, and, I was, uh, and I was trying to date her, and I noticed that she was sad, and I said, what's wrong? And she said, you know, just everybody's moving on, and I'm still going to be here. And, you know, I just thought I had some game. And, and I just kind of like touched my toe to hers a little bit, you know, just Played a little foot, and I was like, I'll, I'll always be here. <laughs> I can remember saying these words to her, I'll always be here. And she looked back up, and like, I knew it worked because she's just a tear, maybe, you know, and just in that moment, you could hear like soundtracks from movies playing. Years later, I'm not there. She's still in Baltimore, and I'm in Beaumont. Hello, two souls, both fragmented, both fragile, cannot be there for each other at all moments, at all times in our lives. As much as we want to and we want to try to, something happens and comes along and we anchor ourselves into people only to be disappointed, only to be let down, only to get further discouraged because you didn't come through for me when I needed you the most. So what is the answer? What is the one answer? Who is the one whose soul is not fallible? Who is the one who lived on this earth and died and lived a perfect sinless life? Who is the one who walked along in your shoes and mine, who carried themselves throughout, who knows what it, like, it is like to deal with my humanity and yours? Who is the one who put my skin on? Who is the one that knows all of the tensions and all of the trials and understands everything that I walk through? Who is the one who had a soul yet didn't give in to it and who was able to perfect it and carry it through? That's the one that I can anchor myself to. Tell me, who is that? Yes, this sermon is going down that road to say Jesus is the anchor for our souls. Jesus is the one that we anchor ourselves to. He is the one that we place our hope in that will not be disappointed. He knows our plight. He knows our condition. A soul so profoundly different than ours because he was perfect and flawless. Therefore, he has the capacity to care for my soul. That's why I choose Jesus, the hope for all humanity. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21 says, Yet I dare still to hope. When I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends, his mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness, his mercies fresh every morning. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. Therefore I will hope in him. Try everything else, bend down other roads, 
tried people, tried things, tried ideas, schemes, plans, only to be disappointed. My friends, that writer has something in common with you and I. And he said, therefore, I will put my hope in him. An anchor. It's crazy. It's crazy. The Bible says an anchor. Why an anchor? Why an anchor? Why not like helicopter Jesus? Why not helicopter Jesus? Why not I'm in my boat, my soul is ravaged, stuff is happening and going on, I need help, send me helicopter Jesus to drop a line, lift me out, and move me on. How about like remover Jesus, like the eraser on your pencil, just come along and just scratch that out. Just scratch that out. Just remove that. Just get that out of my, just erase that. No, he says an anchor. Why an anchor? Because an anchor, an anchor is so like Jesus. An anchor does its best work unseen. Throw it out of the ship. Throw it out of the boat. Let it go. It will find its firm grip somewhere along the way. And you can't see the anchor doing its work, but you can feel it. And you know it's there. And you know it's happening. And you know that no matter what happens. See, so oftentimes we want to get out of the storm. We want to be rescued. We want it to come. We want him to say, peace, be still, and everything to stop. But what happens when they file for divorce and they, they keep on filing? And they're going to take you to court. And then they want the kids. And then so much of life is happening. And you want peace, be still, and go back to the happy home. But you don't have it so what happens you throw an anchor out and you say I need the anchor to hold and it disappears and you can't even see it because the anchor holds the ship in the storm until the storm passes no matter how long it takes no matter what it's up against it will hold Maybe the boat, maybe the vessel just needs rest that night. Maybe it's been traveling all day. Maybe it needs to arrive somewhere and it's still on the way. It's still passing through, but nighttime has come and it just needs a place to rest and, and just relax. The anchor gives it that stability, that firm hold. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you say, God, I just need to chill. I just need to relax. I just, I just need a moment Anchor yourself in him, not in somebody else. The anchor beneath the storm, beneath the waters, holding on. Where I grew up in Baltimore, we have a place called Fort McHenry. If you are a history buff in American history, you understand that at Fort McHenry, the Star-Spangled Banner was written off the shores. Francis Scott Key watched as, as the, the bombardment of Fort McHenry was going on as the British were trying to take hold in 1812. And he sat as a prisoner on that boat and he wrote that, he wrote that poem that became our national anthem. We would go to this park. It was just down the street. And we would always hang out and we would play. And, and as a child, we would go and we would fly kites. Anybody like flying kites? We'd fly kites. 
there's a story about a little boy. He would fly a kite. And one day he was flying this kite, and it was going up into the sky. And he was flying, and he let a little bit more line off, a little bit more line off, a little bit more line was let off until the, the kite was out of sight. He couldn't see it anymore. The man walked by, and the man said, Son, what are you doing holding on to that line, that reel right there? What are you, what are you holding on to? And he said, Sir, there's a kite up there. And the man said, I don't see it. I don't see a kite. How do you know there's a kite there? And the little boy simply responded as kids do. And he said, because every time I give a little bit of tug, it tugs right back. Jesus is that kite out of scene. He's that anchor under the waters that if you need him, you just give a little tug. And you ever feel like you have tension in your life? If you see tension in the line, you know he's at work. If you see that there's tension in the line and it's stiff and it's holding and there's a fight, you know Jesus is the one fighting for you. He's the one that is for us. He's the one that has our plans, our hearts, our minds, our life. Everything is held together because he is the one holding us. I'd ask the band to come as I close. And ask you, what is the alternative? If not Jesus, where will I go? If not Jesus, who else is there? If not him, what are my options? Well, find someone or something that is perfect, that is not fallible, that has not been broken, that has survived the storms of life, that has walked on this earth, that has a soul, that has been able to overcome and supersede every other thing that's come against it. If you can find someone a lot like Jesus, I encourage you to take that path. But I'll save you the online shopping hours at Amazon and eBay. It doesn't exist. There is only Jesus. There is only one way. Jesus is very, very uh, straightforward in this fact. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't, he didn't split hairs. He didn't say, hey, you got these other options. Consider me. He didn't say, hey, look around. When you're trying to find an anchor for your souls, when you're trying to find yourself and stabilize everything and figure life out, consider me. He was very, he was very much, he just said, I am the way. There's no two ways about it, as they say. David cried out in Psalm 61.2. He said, when my heart, my soul, our soul is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. When my heart is overwhelmed, I need you, God, to lead me to you. Isn't that an interesting statement? I need you to lead me to you. If I was lost and I came in this building and I said, Brandon, lead me to the water fountain because I need a drink. Pastor Brandon, take me to the front. Lead me there. I gave him an object and I said, lead me. I, I wasn't so much interested in him as I was the destination. David has got this crazy mindset here. He says, listen, God, lead me to you. Because he realizes that the guide and the destination is the same. That no matter where God is, is where he's going to. 
And he says, lead me to the one higher than I. When my soul is hurting, when my heart is broken, when everything in my world and my life seems to fall apart and my boat wants to go under, lead me to the one higher than you, higher than I. Lead me to you. Do you feel that way this morning? Do you sense that this morning? Is there something inside of you this morning that you came into this place saying, I need to find someone greater than myself. My ideas have quit working. I give up on them. The schemes and the plans that I had to get my life to success don't seem to be coming through for me. My friend, maybe you've anchored in the wrong thing. Maybe you've placed your... See, we each have an anchor. Our souls are going to be latched on to something. We are going to tether ourselves to one thing or to another. Maybe I skipped over this morning what it is that you've latched to, what you've anchored to, what you've tethered to. But Jesus, would you stand with me this morning? this morning that your life is one moment away from disaster. Maybe your ship is starting to rock and the boat is starting. You can see the storm coming. Maybe you're in that place in life where you said, man, I just can't seem to find it. I've tried and I've tried and all of life is caving in, going on and happening. And I had this idea and I put my hope in him and he failed me. And she, she's there for me sometimes, but in my heart, I'd have to admit, not all the time. I love my wife with all of my heart. But I cannot, and she cannot fully depend on me. I can accept that, and I can admit that. There are times when, when I will fail her and I won't clean the kitchen before she gets home. I'm human. It happens. There's times when we just come up short. Disappointment comes in. This morning, would you say, I need to make Jesus the anchor for my soul. morning I need to change the location I'm pulling the anchor up I'm sliding it over here and I'm latching on to Jesus let's pray father I thank you this morning that you're here with us I thank you Holy Spirit for the message for the word I thank you that you have given us this hope as an anchor for our souls I thank you, God. God, for each person that is here this morning that is misguided, that is mislabeled, that is misdirected, that has mistakenly set themselves in the wrong place, speak to them now. Holy Spirit, only in the way that you can settle down in our hearts and in our minds let us feel you
Father, I thank you. And when all of life is going on and happening, Father, I thank you that when storms are raging, God, I thank you that when I have fallen, you pick me up. That when I stumble, you reach down, God, and you clean off and you set me again and you put me back on that path back in that direction back headed towards the goals you set for me Father I thank you for working in our lives I need to make Jesus the anchor of my soul. I'm turning to him. I'm looking at him. I'm directing everything in my life at him, choosing no other path but only the way of life. I believe that when you make a decision on the inside, you can symbolically agree to that on the outside by raising your hand. I'd ask you right now, is that your decision this morning? You say, this morning I choose to make Jesus the Savior of my life the forgiver of my sins, the cleanser of my heart. Father, for every hand that's lifted across this room, I thank you. For every heart that is wide open, I praise you. Jesus, for every soul that is being saved, I worship you. Simply say a prayer. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Make me yours. The second person I want to pray for this morning is maybe your life is like that boat. Maybe right now your soul is being torn and twisted. Maybe things just seem to not want to line up. You're struggling. You're fighting. You're facing. And you're tempted to put your hope other places this whole sermon you've agreed you found hope you you understand it but you know that you've been torn and tattered and you just need the security of Jesus right now you need to know that your anchor is firm and secure sure and steadfast can I pray for you this morning would you simply raise your hands so I know who I'm praying for if you feel like your life your soul. Father, I thank you for each hand that's up. 
Father, strengthen that soul. Strengthen that one that you love, the one that you gave all of your love towards. Embrace them, wrap them, keep them, watch over them. Father, until the storm passes through, stay always by our side. In your precious name I pray.